What's going on, everybody? Hotep to the family. Welcome back to another episode of My Unapologetic Perspective here on the Mighty Motivation Network. You can follow us on YouTube at the Mighty Motivation Network. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And we are here on the My Unapologetic Perspective where we're going to give our point of view of controversial topics from our experience, our history, our knowledge, as African Americans, I'm joined by my co-host Jerome Battle, my father um, Mufasa. What, what's your other name? Mustafa Sharif. Mustafa Sharif, and I'm also joined by my brother Shaquan Battle, who's off camera, but he's here, and you will hear him as well. Um, thank everybody for tuning in the last few episodes. We really, really do appreciate all of the feedback that we've been getting. We appreciate all the love that we've been getting. And we do understand that a lot of things that we say are controversial. Absolutely. That a lot of people may not understand. They may not get why we're talking about it. But we do feel like these topics have to be had because they ran away from so much. And that's why we're in the predicament that we're in. And this is why we're so divided, not only as a nation, but we're divided at, in the African-American community because we do not have these honest conversations enough. I agree. And that's one of the things that we will be speaking about today is we'll be speaking about um, black accountability of what we need to do as African-Americans to pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps and begin to be more productive in this nation and begin to um, fulfill how incredible and talented and knowledgeable that we are to begin to um, not be oppressed anymore and not fall victim to what other people do. And what we're going to do throughout this episode is we're not going to draw comparison because we don't want to compare statistics of what white people do or what Hispanics do. We just want to look at our statistics, look at our experiences, look at our history and figure out what do we need to do specifically to be better specifically. Um, and again, this episode is sponsored by Serenity Sense LLC, where we pride ourselves in providing all natural, clean burning wax melt products. We have a large variety of luxury scents to fit your individual preferences. We take pride in delivering our wax melts to you because we are passionate about crafting unforgettable fragrances. And you can follow her on Facebook at Serenity Sense and the Facebook page. At Serenity Sense, or just follow my wife, Barisha Stevens, on Facebook. Also, the Instagram is uh, Serenity Sense LLC. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, Pops, you wanted to talk about this specifically. Um, why did you want to do this topic? Absolutely. Black accountability. Because uh, remember, I think in all the previous episodes, we talked about how the oppressed became the oppressor. Mm -hmm. And... And what we mean by that is we were oppressed by white America. And then we start adopting some of those same concepts and how we treated our fellow Afro-Americans. Right. But not just how we treated other Afro-Americans, but also how we treated ourselves. Mm -hmm. The things that we began to engage in because we were oppressed for so long. And then you you start getting content with the things that you get. And then you start making your own decisions based on what you think is survival mode. Right. And in a lot of cases, it wasn't. It was a it was a conscious choice to do certain things that probably was not going to be 
advantageous or beneficial for you in the long run. Right. <clears throat> so when we look at, you know, accountability, you know, we understand, you know, the marches, we understand the protest, we understand the Facebook posts, we understand the cry and the outrage. But one thing that we have to understand is what, what can we do specifically to make change? Because uh, Malcolm said, you know, when you begin to beg your oppressor, that's like being um, asking your rapist, you that's know, right. what, you know, what should, you know, what should I do? And we're in no position and they're in no position to be able to control us the way that they have. And we're going to put this again. I don't want to look at anything from an episode because when you watch um, TV shows, you don't start with season four, episode five. You That's start right. with season one, episode one, so you can look at the chronology of everything That's right. and understand what's going on now. Absolutely. So I want to start there because I want to give a background on how systematic oppression happens how we ended up here, and that will give us the opportunity to figure out what can we do to get out of it. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to start with the chronology of history. Anytime we talk on this episode, we're always going to talk about history. We're always going to give, because the in order to understand what's going on now and to understand what we can do in the future, we have to look at history. Because history might not repeat itself, but it dang sure rhymes. Absolutely. You know. So let, let, let's just go back. And of course, you know me, I'm going to go back to Africa. Um, <laughs> Take them back, brother. So Take two things happened in Africa. Um, when we look at our African ancestors that, number one, that they didn't see race. When you are black in Africa at the time that we're talking about, there was no, there was nothing else to see. That's right. So you didn't call yourself black. That's it right. wasn't until the Greeks come down and the Greeks start calling them um, Ethiopians, right. which is the term for um, burnt faces or black faces. Right. So one thing that we see early on is that Africans are inviting people. Like they don't care who you are. Come on in, come share the resources, That's come right. learn. We don't we don't follow race. And the Greeks really didn't either. You know, they just looked at them and, and saw early on that they were a different, they looked different than them, and they began to learn from, from African people. And, and and that they had value. I right. Think that's important, too. So once you see them inviting in, the second thing we have to understand is once European influence happens, so once they're there, they start to, you know, to gain some power, they start looking at things, and they... And, that's when the greed comes in. That's right. So now you're looking at inner conflict in Africa between different tribes. And it wasn't big conflict. It was like something that would be, you know, one and done. And what ended up happening was once they started to do this, once you get people fighting, then you can come in and you can take over the land and take over the resources. Again, we don't have to look. We can look at right now. United States is great at this. They see That's two right. people fighting in one country, rebels against the other. They go in and help one, and then they take over the land and the resources in that area and what they call making it a democracy. That's right. So what we see already is something that we see today. So one of the things that ended up happening is the more and more they fought, Europeans came in what they considered firearms, That's weapons, right. advanced weaponry. And one thing that they told them um, was, you know, we'll help you fight your enemies. We'll give you weapons and trade. And by doing that, 
they had the power because if you don't take the weapons, we'll just kill all That's y'all. Right. So That's right. either take the weapons and use them. Or we're going to take the weapons and kill all y'all. Or, or find another tribe that's willing to take the, the weapons. Right. So already we see European colonialism controlling black people by um, by intense genocide, we can almost say. Right. So this leads to, you know, um, the slave movement. And what we already see is we are being targeted to be oppressed and dominated because we are invulnerable. We are vulnerable when we are united, when we're not united. Exactly. So already we see the same thing. So even in today's world, we fight for colors. We fight for neighborhoods. We fight for possessions. Mm. We fight for religion. We fight for all of these things. And it goes right back to Africa where it first started that we began to fight each other based off something that separates us or people that separates us. So already we see early on in Africa that us fighting has to do with division. That's right. It has to do with division. So looking at it from a holistic standpoint, um, right then and there, we see it. And then the move forward, you, of course, you got the slave trade and then you got slavery. That's right. And one of the best divisions that you can do in slavery was um, dark versus light. Um, old versus uh, young, uh, male versus female, uh, strong versus weak. And that began to create problems on the plantation because black people was already at each other's necks That's right. about what they looked like, how old they were, what um, were they male or female. And then educated you be- or uneducated. Exactly. So and then again, you see um, afterwards we have what we call moving into um public housing and things like that, which created separate more, more separation. We're going to get into a little more about that later. But just from a chronology of looking at um, America, we understand that how we got here. That's right. And most, and of course, one of the main things people like to bring up is, you know, you guys own slaves in Africa. Again, you have to go back and you have to look at history from chronology. Slavery in Africa was very, very different from any slavery that you've ever seen. And it was actually like a servitude. That's so right. where if and it we, wasn't based on race. Right. It wasn't based on race. And if we and it wasn't generational. That's so right. most of the time when you seen slavery in Africa, it was either because you committed a crime, either it was a war went on, or you was in debt to somebody. That's right. And once that debt was paid everything's free and we would take you in we take your family in they go to the schools they eat the same food that we eat so it was more like bringing you in like family than it was treating you like chattel slavery and you weren't born into that slavery right and once africa got um got wind of this things changed dramatically uh queen nzinga is one of them um who began to fight against the slave traders after she figured out what was happening in America because right. they um a person um what is his name um I got it right here Equanu is that his name the the I don't know how you pronounce it but yes but yes he wrote a, a um a autobiography because he grew up in Africa where his, I think he was very um, involved in the slavery. So I think either his family owned slaves or he was a slave himself. I'm not sure. I have to look that up again. But he actually was a slave in America. And when he went back, he said, listen, these are two different things. That's right. 
you know, slavery over there, we're not even human. Slavery over here is not what y'all think. So when y'all selling people into that slave trade, they ain't ever coming back. And they began to, um, that's when uh, you see more rebels, Shaka Zulu's um, mother was one of them, also fighting slave traders. So already in history, we began to see how um, the oppression happens and how um, things occurred as far as uh, the chronology of history. And one of the important things that you just mentioned about the vulnerability is that when you create division or dissension amongst the ranks, you become weaker mm -hmm. and you're more vulnerable, which is usually by design. Mm -hmm. It's usually done for a reason. And that's important because that is what happened in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, even after slavery, even when you get into early civil rights, um, obviously the dissension amongst Americans, one, but dissension and division amongst the black community mm -hmm. is, is really important to what took place in the early 60s, right. um, even the late 50s. Right. And again, I'm talking about conversations that I've had. So when I've had these conversations with people, these are the, the, the questions that I get. So what about after slavery? After you guys, after blacks are not slaves, why can't they get it together? Of course, if you listen to the last few episodes, we talk about one of the ways that they did it to get, get, get it together, which was uh, post-Civil War, uh, what we call the Reconstruction period. That's right. And African-Americans were were uh, booming at the time. They were owning land. They were owning property. They were owning businesses. They were owning, they were taking control of their communities. And one of the things that happened was they were burned down. That's right. So because they were doing so well that... The political system, even people that were in uh, the Senate and the House of Representatives, the president himself, um, Andrew Jackson, tried to do whatever he could to to stop this movement that Abraham Lincoln had already tried to put into place. So post-Civil um, War, African-Americans were doing just that, and they were doing better than a lot of white people. If you look at South Carolina specifically, they had like nine or ten politicians in the House already. That's right. That's right. Um, and so they were really controlling a lot of, of land and property. And then what ends up happening was, of course, Jim Crow jumps in. And then, you know, the hate and discrimination happens. And something key to understand is the Great Migration. That's right. The Great Migration is where African-Americans move from the South to the North or from South to the West. And, and that's keep, keep in mind now, that's important because as these, these Afro-Americans moved to the North, there was two things that was prevalent at the time. Lack of housing. Yes. Lack of employment. Yes. Which led to what we will get into in a little bit later on is the uh, building of what we now call projects. Well, we're going to get into that right now, actually. Uh, so when we talk about most people think of segregation, they think of the South. No, segregation in itself was just more um, right in your face. It was more honest with it. Right. But there was segregation in the North. That when all of these black people start going to the North, they basically pushed them in to certain neighborhoods. To say because they didn't, you were allowed to if you were a white person to sell your property to a black person in a white neighborhood. That's right. They would not could, allow could it to happen. happen. And if it did happen, um, your you, your house was probably burned down. Or it, or the the property value would go down. The that, that was something that was said aloud. Right. Is that if you sell your property to a black person, not only does that property of that value go down, but the neighborhood properties values went down as well. Right. So you were 
you weren't in white neighborhoods. They wanted to keep you out of the white neighborhoods. So they pushed black people. And let's just use Chicago for an example, That's because right. um, I read a few books on Chicago. The north side and the south side. So Chicago, they pushed a lot of the African-Americans towards the south side. And that kept black people out of white neighborhoods. That's right. Because you had no reason to be over here if you didn't live over here. So if 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 you look, um, if you read Michelle Obama's book, she talks about how her family was once in a white neighborhood. It was seemed like a white neighborhood, and then five years later, there was no more white people left. That's right. Because even when they moved in the South Side, the white people got got out of Dodge. They didn't want to live beside black people. And one of the things that ended up happening was they created what they called the um the public housing. That's right. Um, the public housing projects, affordable home projects, whatever you want to call it. That's where we get the term projects from. And first, it was actually a really good idea Absolutely. because it, it, it gave black people an opportunity to have housing um, affordable and, and cheap because, again, they're on the move from somewhere that they, they have um, no uh, awareness of. And one of the problems with the first affordable housing was there were a lot of black families dying um, in house fires because the ones that they originally built was not really fireproof. So if one room caught on fire, the whole house was going to caught on fire. In Michelle Obama's book, she talks about going to maybe two funerals as a kid of her friends that died in house fires to the point where they would go over um, fire escape stuff in their house because this was so known in Chicago that if one room caught on fire, the whole house was going to catch on fire. That's right. And then this, the second thing that they did was in order to, to um, stop funding so much, they decided to create high rises, which means we can get more people stacked on top of each in other small area. In, in a small area of land. And if you watch the uh, Wu-Tang documentary, um, I forget. I think Ghostface said it. He was like, "Yo, this is like a prison. This is preparing you for like the prison system. And, like and we're just stacked right. on top of each and other." And in the beginning, when they first came up with that concept, it was for the soldiers that returned yeah. from World War II. Mm -hmm. So the idea was based on being able to put a large number of people in a small area. As you know, if you go to the city today, New York City, it's hard to build outward. Yeah. So you build upward. Mm -hmm. And and that was the concept of the, the, the idea of the project. So even with building the projects, again, it was at first it was a good idea. Most, it was it was yeah. considered affordable housing. It was affordable housing. They had grass, they had places where the kids could play. Everything was working functionally. The problem was it was running out of money. There was no economical development. Mm -hmm. And no no employment opportunities. Now, keep in mind, when we talk about Chicago, and we're going to get into this, mm -hmm. that the, one of the largest projects ever in the United States was a project called Cabrini, Cabrini Green. Green. And for those that may know, if you watch Good Times, mm -hmm. that was the featured and, projects. Was, and Candyman. And Candyman, Candyman was filmed there as well. Uh, uh, and for those that are my age or older, if you talk about Cooley High, mm -hmm. uh, Cooley High, they actually got some actual thugs from Cabrini Green, Green, Green to right. play roles in the movie. Uh, Cooley High. Hardball as well. A exactly. Hardball as well. So the, the concept in the beginning was a very good one. Mm -hmm. And and it was affordable housing. And, and that was the idea to get these folks into an area. Now, when they came up with the idea, now Cabrini Green was was a, a, a structure that grew over years. Mm -hmm. It started out as one thing and then it be, ended up to be Cabrini Green later on in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And what, just for people who don't know, there was two affluent areas on each side 
of that area in Chicago that was known as Cabrini Green. Mm -hmm. And that's important. We'll get to that in a little bit. But obviously, the idea was a great one in the beginning. And we're going to talk a little bit about why we think that it became not a great idea. Right. And again, we're, we're talking about all this. We're giving you a chronology of things. We're setting it up so you can understand how we got here. And now you can understand how we can get ourselves out of it. So with Cabrini Green, again, the funding was low. So again, you had black affordable housing and you also had white affordable housing. That's and right. that was segregated. The white people did not want them to live in the same um, affordable houses as them. So what happened was the funding was going to the white houses first and then the black houses was left. So instead of fixing the elevator, they said, just use the stairs. And there That's were right. kids dying on the elevator from playing on it. The grass was no longer there. It became cement. Um, the area around it became bad. People's lights wasn't working. People's uh, the, the, the windows was broken. And then that's when we create what we call the, the ghetto, right? Um, right. The, the place where nobody really wants to be. And out of that, it was so boring around there. There was nothing to do. You had the invention uh, and just in, uh, we're just talking about Chicago here. You had the invention of gangs. Now we're talking about Chicago specifically, but we can understand how this happens in New York, how this happens in Baltimore, how this happens in California, how this happens in uh, St. Louis. We're, we're all talking about the same thing because this is where black people were pushed into industrialized cities. So when you talk about New York, Baltimore, um, Chicago, St. Louis, um, L.A., you're talking about those large cities where opportunity is supposed to be. And they went there and figured out that they were still being oppressed. By this idea, Jersey said, uh, "You know why they call it a project? Because it's a project. It's, it's, it is a project. And, and, and at the beginning, that's that's what it was. That, it was a project. It, it was it, uh, it was something experimental that they were trying. Um, and and obviously, like you said in the beginning, it was it was a very good idea. Mm -hmm. I, I want to mention something, and 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 the the person that I'm I'm going to uh, incorporate in this, I just want to say something. Bill Cosby wrote a book, and it's called Come On People." And when we talk, when I talk about Bill Cosby, for those that know me, I'm not talking about Bill Cosby, the man, the rapist, the now in prison uh, uh, rapist. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about Bill Cosby, the person who had a mind that if you listen to what he was saying as a black man, you can learn a lot of things. And as a black father, I learned a lot from Bill Cosby, that person, mm -hmm. not the person that you all know now as the uh, uh, imprisoned Bill Cosby. And one of the things that he said is that black people aren't accountable for the things that happen, not only to them mm -hmm. and their family members, but within their communities. And he used the projects as a great example. As you take these projects that really in concept was great mm -hmm. because you could have a next door neighbor that will watch your kids when they're outside playing. Mm -hmm. And for those that don't know, I, I grew up in the projects. Mm -hmm. I, I grew up in the hood in Washington, D.C., where our next door neighbors were the people who looked out for us when my mom and dad was at work. Right. It's a great community because the next door neighbors are so close to you. They're going to look out for you. Right. But that's not what happened. So if you throw a piece of trash on the ground, the next door neighbors wasn't telling you to pick that up right. because they were doing the same thing. And then these areas got flooded with trash and run down. Nobody yeah. took care of anything. That's on us. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the funding from the government wasn't equal to the funding to the white neighborhoods. OK, that's true. Mm -hmm. But you got to take care of what you have now. Absolutely. We see it now. How many times do they authorize a cleanup 
at Edmund Street Park, the ball diamond right. for those that, that play there. You end up having to do that yourself. Right. But who makes the mess? Right. We do. We do. We do. You know, so what Bill Cosby was saying is that there needs to be accountability, black accountability for what we do in our own communities that obviously affect our families and ourselves. Right. And we need to do that. He also said that you have blacks having kids mm -hmm. in black neighborhoods and then no one is raising. The parents aren't parents. Mm -hmm. And he, he's right to a point. There's one part I disagree with. Someone is raising. And we're going to get to that. Oh, yo, yeah, we definitely going to get to that. Um, So, again, we're setting up the shot right now. And I want to throw this part before we take a break real quick. The reason why we brought up the housing projects is because we have to understand the, the systematic way. So one thing that correlates with crime black on black crime that that people want to throw in our face that we're going to talk about and we're going to hold be accountable to it but the number one reason for crime is poverty that's right so when you look at being pushed into certain neighborhoods that has left poverty so you're pushed into certain neighborhoods, but you don't own any business in neighborhoods because the Jews stayed and they kept the stores. The Italians stayed and kept the stores. The Irish stayed and kept the stores. They still owned up the apartment buildings and black people are still unemployed. They have housing. And another thing happened that we didn't talk about is in order to get affordable housing, they passed that you couldn't have a man in the house. That's right. Because if a man was in the house and he was working, you you no longer needed affordable housing. That's right. So we're all, we're going to talk about that in a brief second. Uh, hold that down. We'll be right back. <laughs> and we are back again. Follow the Mighty Motivation Network on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, we're going to jump right back in. Shaquan, you had something. Yeah, Kevin Gates said. Uh, in the neighborhood that I grew up in, they call it the South Side. Everybody's house overcrowded, forcing them to hang outside. Right, right. So again, um, we see this this correlation from Africa to slavery to post Civil War to the Great Migration that leads into the housing projects. Um, it says a report released by the U.S. Department of Justice in 2017 found that all of the violent crimes committed between 2012 and 2015, 22.7% were committed by black people, and 63% of these were committed against other black people. This is in comparison to 44% of all violent crimes committed by white people, 57% of which were committed against other white people. According to this data, white people commit crimes against other white people at the same rate that black people do against other black people. But despite these numbers, people aren't discussing white-on-white -white crime problem. When a white person commits a crime against white person, it's just called a crime. Race isn't a factor, and it's intentional. Using language like black-on-black -black crime perpetrates the myth that interracial violence is specific to the black community, a myth that implies black people are inherently more, more violent the, this tactic has been used to justify the mistreatment of black people, abolishment um, of slavery. Now, I want uh, that that statement is true, and I said it for a reason. But what we have, what we're doing or attempting to do on this episode, is not compared to. I don't care about black 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 on black crime versus white on white crime. I don't want to. I don't care about that. Crime is crime. Crime is crime. But. If we want to talk about black accountability, let's just talk about what we do to ourselves. Right. I don't care about the other stuff because 
we we understand from history how that happens. So we have to begin to take accountability for ourselves because one thing that we can't do is march when a white person kills a black person unjustly. But while we're marching, we're getting updates that Chicago is killing each other. No, eight-year-old girls is killing uh, is, is being killed in a gang war. This happened at Cabrini Green. So one thing we know is we can be in control That's and right. we can be civilized and we can grow as a community. Because one thing that happened at Cabrini Green, and this is important to understand, is there was a lot of gang violence happening at Cabrini Green. And at one, it was like a Wednesday, a 12-year-old was shot. And then that Saturday, no, that Friday, an eight-year-old boy was killed on his way to school. Now, he's outside of the school at the steps. His mother's across the street. There are two police officers outside of the school, and this little kid is shot dead. And what the community did, they said, nah, that's enough. That's everybody enough. come together. The, the, right. Whatever gang you're from, everybody come. Because, again, when we talk about gangs, we talk about young men and women who have mothers, aunts, uncles, grandmothers in the same community and they came together and they said, you know what, everybody come in. This gotta stop. That's right. This this has to stop. Has and to stop. you know what they did? For three years, there was only two murders in Cabrini Green that had nothing to do with the gangs. That's right. There was only two robberies that had nothing, nothing to do, to do with, with the gangs. gangs. For, for three years, they stayed civilized. And if you understand this story, this story comes right out of the hardball movie. The hardball movie with G-Baby is killed comes right out of this eight-year-old kid that was killed outside of school. That's right. The umpire and the coach actually lived at Cabrini that's Green right. that, um, that's in the hardball right. movie. So when we begin to look at what Cabrini Green did, we have to say, okay, how can we do this going forward? Because I, I heard people say, you know, if you want to stop white people from saying nigga, then you stop saying nigga right. to each other. Because you invite them to say it when you say it to each other. The same thing could be said about black on black crime and black or white on black crime. If you want them to stop killing us, we need to stop killing We have to stop killing each other. And they say it every time they That's do right. it. So when we, we, we have outcries, we protest, we march, we want justice. The first thing that they comment on Facebook and say, well, what about black on black crime? And 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 it's true. And the thing is, it's really hard for us to 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 have anything to say in defense of that because mm -hmm. it is true. And when we we'll go back for a second, you remember that I said that Bill Cosby said that in urban communities, mm -hmm. children are born to parents um, who are not being parented by those parents. Right. Kids are born by nature. And his exact words: kids are born by nature, but raised by no one. Right. And I said I agree with part of that. The last part. I disagree with. Okay. Um, kids are being raised by someone or something. And when you take those conditions, they're being raised primarily by what we call the street. Right. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give put you into the mindset of when we talk about gangs, how this happens. Right. Let's talk so you about look it. in these communities, we'll we'll talk about the projects in in specific. Um in the midst of struggle and frustration, unemployment. No economical development, no opportunities. High crime, horrible educational system. Right. Right? This leaves blacks with no hope. Mm -hmm. Okay? So for, for those that can really understand struggle, you have to have hope to be able to overcome struggle. Mm -hmm. Hope is important. Okay? Mm -hmm. So in these conditions, there's no hope. So, and it, this, is, this is a theory. 
in theory, black men typically live by what I like to call the three P's. Okay. Profess, provide, protect. Mm -hmm. So what the black man does is find something or somebody that they love and they profess that love for them. Mm -hmm. They profess it. And it's hard for men to profess love. Right. Black men to profess love. And then that black man provides for that thing or person that they profess their love for. Mm -hmm. And then they protect that thing that they provide, that thing or person that they provide for, that they profess their love. Mm -hmm. Very symbolic to how games, games work. Gangs, you find somebody that's vulnerable because dissension is what causes that vulnerability mm -hmm. or fear. OK, and they profess their love for that game by throwing signs, whatever, whatever you want to do. Hey, I'm a blood. I'm a crip, whatever. They're professing their love. And then they provide they provide for that game, sell drugs, commit crimes, whatever they need to do to earn their keep to be a part of that that game. Right. And then they do whatever it takes to protect that game. Mm -hmm. OK, that's how these communities Gangs become prevalent. Mm -hmm. And then you have people joining every day for those reasons, those three P's. You're going to find something that you love. Mm -hmm. So if you're not being parented, the educational system sucks. There's no opportunities out there. There's no hope for you. Where do you go? Mm -hmm. You're going to go to the streets. So you can very easily plug in street life for games. Mm -hmm. You can very easily plug in crime for games. These are the things that are going to raise you. They're going to raise your kids. And it's it has nothing to do with, per se, white America or the government. This is a conscious choice. Right. Right. This is a choice that people are making based on their conditions that they perceive to be un, no hope, mm -hmm. no hope for those conditions to get better. And then you lead into what we call black on black crime. Right. And again, let's go back and look at the chronology of it, um, because. The episode that you just talked about is 100 percent accurate. Now I want to now I want to explain how we got there. Uh, when we look at gang um, gang culture, where did gangs come from? So when you talk about gangs were already in L.A. before the, the Crips and the Bloods ever came because there were um, um, Hispanic gangs already. There were white gangs already, if you want to call them the mob or whatever mm -hmm. the case you want to call it. Um, of course, they consider the LAPD to be a gang, but we'll talk about that in right. another That's episode. Right. But one of the things that happened is the Black Power Panther, uh, the Black Panther Party movement is, is is growing rapidly, and young African Americans are very very attracted to the Black Panther Party movement for the right reasons. Because one of the things that they did that they don't talk about a lot in the movies is they were protection for the neighborhood. That's right. That's one of the things. That's one of the clear reasons for the Black Panther Party was not to just harass the police. It was because the police were coming down to their neighborhoods and they said, "Listen, we're going to protect our own neighborhood." That's right. That's that is what we're going to do. And then after the Black Panther Party, they, uh, the drugs come into LA, and this is where the people who were in the Black Panther Party moved towards the gang. And the first gang is the Crips. And the Crips are, are there just for protection. That's right. From people who were harassing their neighborhoods, white gangs, Hispanic gangs, the police. And they began to create their own protection unit to protect their community. So it had nothing to do with, we're going to ride on you, drive by on you. It was like, no, we're here to protect our community. Right. And then right next is where you see the shift. So from the Crip gang to... 
the blood gang coming out. The blood gang was protection from the Crips. That's right. So already you see a separation in black and black, black on black unity due to um due to oppression. That's right. And I say oppression because if you watch the, the show Snowfall, most people come back and they love the show Snowfall. They love it for the entertainment reasons. That's right. But if you look at season one, how Franklin were going outside, buying ice cream, everybody was living, they was having cookouts in the neighborhood. And then you look at season four to where you don't even want to walk outside. That's right. You see how things dramatically changed in three seasons. And they've done a great job at capturing this because if you look at the intro... When the, the snowfall at first, the first episode, there's nothing going on. Now you look at the snowfall intro, everything's burning. Because you take something small that's used for good reasons, and now you're using it for bad reasons. That's right. Same thing goes back to Africa. The bow and arrow was made to protect my tribe, my community, my family. Or you know provide, what they, Or provide for it by killing, killing animals. And do you know what happens next? They come in with firearms and say, nah, you ain't just got to protect. If they ain't protected, we're going to go get what they got. That's right. Firearms was not protection because when you got a firearm, you realize other people ain't got firearms and you can go get what they got. So one of the things that happened was Ronald Reagan wanted to fund the, the, the war going on in Nicaragua. And he smacked drugs and guns. guns. In L.A. That's right. The gangs went crazy with it. So, again, history don't repeat itself, but it dang sure rhymes. So, if you look in that gangs, if you look at Cabrini Green, if you look at the projects itself, who benefited from the drugs? Black people. That's right. Because when you're in poverty, when you're unemployed, what Greater way, and they were getting money. You talking about sixteen year olds with cars, millions of dollars just coming in, flowing. They didn't know it was bad. They thought it was a business. That's right. And, and the thing is, is people waited for white media and white America to tell them what was going on with gangs and and the the story behind the story. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to wait for that because Ice Ice T mm -hmm. came on national TV. And told people what was going on in 1986. He went on air. I think it was uh, uh, um, prime time or something like that. But we went on national TV. Who, who was a gangster at the time. Mm -hmm. Came on TV and said, you know, everybody talking about there's 100,000 gangs in, in L.A. Well, you think they got initiated last night? Right. These gangs been going on for years in this area. The problem was it only affected the black community. And it wasn't until a little white girl got killed in Beverly Hills that all of a sudden games became a problem. Right. So as long as we're doing it to ourselves, check it out. Government don't really care. Right. They don't really care. It's when, one, if you're selling drugs, that's untaxed money. I can't have you doing mm -hmm. that. Okay? I don't care that you're selling to other black people and killing them. What I care about is we ain't getting no taxation on that, right. that money that you're making. So we're going to put you in jail. But they don't really care what's going on. And you can see that in the gangs that you're talking about. They had them in a centralized area. And as long as you guys stay in that area, you do what you want. Right. But you kill a white girl in Beverly Hills, you got a problem now. Right. And we've seen a correlation, and this is a little bit off topic, but I'm going to get back on it, is the correlation between police and, and the citizens, especially in L.A. Um, one of the key things that happened was police brutality was happening That's on right. African-Americans. Um, 
from the 60s up. That's right. Right? And one thing that happened was the um the Olympics, in which the everybody from the world was going into LA. And black people seen that they were being treated fairly. Because the world was watching. That's right. And then as soon as the Olympics was over, they was back kicking back in doors, back um back uh, abusing black people. And black people said, wait a minute. When the world is watching, you're good to us. But when the world is not watching, you're oppressing us. So this led to a lot more gang violence because black people started to see that white America that didn't, that didn't care. Now, let's go to the accountability part. For the people who are joining gangs, now, when you look at these rappers, when you look at these movies and these shows, when you see the people say stupid things like this, this is the, one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. <laughs> you can't come to my neighborhood if you ain't from here. <laughs> Sales tough. And I get it. But here's the thing. Don't none of y'all own the property. That's right. So look at what your champion. This is the thing we got to do as a solution wise. We got to be careful what we champion That's because right. it sounds tough that you can't come to my neighborhood. You can't wear this color, but you not even making money in the neighborhood. People, white people own that property. That's right. So unless you control the economic system, the, 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 the monopoly of it, then you would just, you're just, you're just the, the, the pawn on the board. That's right. Many people have been killed for that concept. Right. You know, I, I remember uh, the, the, the movie, uh, Spike Lee movie, where it said, who told you to come on my block? Who yeah. told you to come on the sidewalk on my side of the block? You know, many people, Yusef Hawkins is one that comes to mind when I think about New York, who was, who was killed in Bensonhurst, in a neighborhood that people feel like he had no business in being. Right. So many people have been killed by being in what they would would assume is a neighborhood that you're not supposed to be in. Mm -hmm. A neighborhood with things that those people don't even own, like you're saying. And then we do it to ourselves. So That's right. the Yusef Hawkins situation, going into a white neighborhood that you ain't supposed to be in, you could be killed for. That's right. There's still some white neighborhoods that you go in that you could be killed for just for being black. Absolutely. And we started doing the same thing to, to ourselves. ourselves. They say, yo, you can't come through here if you ain't from here. That's right. But the police can come in and raid. The police can come in and kill people. And you don't do a thing about it. That's right. But when black people, an innocent black person, walk through your neighborhood, the first thing you want to say, yo, what sex you claim? That's right. Where, Where are you, you from? from? Why you got that color on? That's right. Look at the way we are oppressing ourselves over something that ain't got nothing to do with nobody. Because we are so caught up in this, in this tough guy thing. That's We're right. so caught off in, 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 in being in control, but we don't understand the more we think we are in control, the more we're not in control. So the, that's right. So the, the tougher you try to seem to say the Bloods or the Crips control this area, you don't understand that you are not in control, that the government is still in control because every last one of you at one point is going to go right into the system. So we're starting to see an increase of, of African-Americans in the in the in the um in the prison system. And we have to be cognizant of what is happening around us. This is why we got to be accountable. We cannot talk about it being systematic as being in the prison system, being systematic, being in gangs and black on black crime without us being accountable to have a knowledge of why this is happening. That's right. Because if you look at the 13th Amendment, this is why this is happening. You're going to prison because prison is the only place that can you can be subjected to slavery. 
That's right. Slavery is abolished except for by crime and punishment, which is the uh, the private prison system that is being built in America. So That's we right. have to be very, very cognitive of why this is happening. They are putting you in public housing for a reason, because it correlates with poverty. They are giving you gangs and guns and drugs for a reason, because it correlates with crime. And they're giving you the private prison system for a reason, because it correlates with incarceration of men and women, especially of African-American, over five times more than any other ethnic group, because slavery as we go back and look at the chronology of oppression, it's still legal whenever you're in a private prison system. I, I'm going to close my laptop and take it to the house, man. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, hey, you, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, and I'll tell you this, for, for a person that uh, went to an institution of better behavior, I, I can honestly tell you that um, the, the dissension happens there. The division happens there. I can remember being in the receiving unit before going to the institution of better behavior mm -hmm. and seeing uh, when when white inmates would come in, mm -hmm. the the other white inmates would go down and help. Oh man, let me show you where you where you put your stuff. Don't go on that side after four o'clock. If you go to the shower, make sure you don't go by yourself. Giving them instructions on how to be safe right. and giving them the law of the land in this new uh, city called um, uh, rehabilitation. Right. Okay. And then on the flip side, you have blacks looking at the new black inmates going, look at them shoes. Let me, let me see yeah. if we can get them shoes off of them. Right. Hey, my man, what size are those? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yo, make sure you come on this side when you get done. Right. You know? Always trying to oppress, mm -hmm. again, in that same situation, the black man. Right. Now, it's not the system doing it. Right. You know, it's not, the, it's not white America. These are blacks. Oppressing other blacks. This is in the same situation. Right. This is in the exact same situation. Made a mistake or conscious choice. I don't know which one it was, but you're in the same situation. And instead of us trying to help each other, right. I'm trying to get what you got. Right. You know, we we don't see the unity there. So when you go into the first person, you want to you want to first thing you want to ask is he a cripple? Is he a blood? That's is right. he from my neighborhood? Which neighborhood he from? Where you know from? what I'm saying? I, I got to know who his family is. I got to know if I got if I got to watch my back. So again, we are when white people come in, they're not thinking about that. No. Man, they might try to recruit you in the area nation. That's about it. But we don't see the division happening so much in that. Even in religion, we see, is he a Christian? Is he is a Muslim? Muslim? What, what, what is he? I got to know before I talk to him. What That's you right. mean? Listen, we see. Listen, the only reason we are holding you accountable, the only reason we are holding our community accountable, our black people accountable, because we've seen you do it. That's right. We've seen you after Trayvon Martin get killed, that you take the red flag and the blue flag and y'all walk down the street together and say unity. We've seen it happen. We've seen what happened at Cabrini Green. We've seen that Bloods go to Nipsey Hussle's funeral. We've seen it happen. We know we are capable of uniting, but we can't just unite after something happens. We have to unite and prevent things from happening so we can grow in our community. You have to understand what is going on in your your community. Right. You have to understand what is happening around you. I promise you, as a correctional officer, I've talked to many gangsters, many um, blood leaders, crip leaders. And you know, when I have conversations with them dudes, they're the most calm, cool, collected, and knowledgeable people I've ever had a conversation with. And you know what most of them tell me? The ones that got 20, 30, 40, 50 years? 
They said, man, these young dudes wild out here, man. I'll just be trying to chill and try to kick knowledge to them. So if the OGs, after years, realized that the lifestyle that the young people are really taking in by killing each other and shooting each other and selling drugs ain't the way, I think they are trying to try to tell you something to prevent things from happening more. But we got to get our young people to stop looking at the movies and the music and the TV shows for what it is. No, we got to look at it from a business perspective. We have to look at it from a community perspective. We have to look at it and look at it and, and unite as a group to say, what can we do to be better uh, together? Uh, uh, because we got to live together. This is the thing. Black, I don't care where you at. Most of the time, you're going to see a, a all black neighborhood. Somewhere. 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 Now, you might see they're all white neighborhoods and there are certain black people that might live in them all white neighborhoods, but you don't necessarily see the, 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 the correlation on what we have. Wherever you go, there's a black side, period. That's right. You got to live together. Your kids got to uh, go to school together. You got to be able to unite each other because you're talking about gangs that are right across the street from each other. I, I had a, a unique experience the other day. This this topic just fits. Uh, I went to Danville to get vaccinated, and when I was telling some some people I was going to Danville, they was like, "Oh man, hey, you you gonna be safe down there? Are you you afraid to go down there? Hey, they killing people down there. They killing people everywhere." The funny thing is, is we're talking about a black community, a black person going to a black community right. to get vaccinated. And mm -hmm. I got to worry about violence, right? Against me, right? And, and and that's to to me that's that lack of accountability that we talk about. Mm -hmm. Now, understand something. We're not saying don't commit crimes against blacks. Go out and commit them against whites. That's no, not what we're no, saying. We're no. saying stop committing them. Yeah. That's what we're saying. Find some value in something legal. First of all, if you if you're a drug dealer, start your own business. Right. Okay. Start your own business. Well, I, I think a lot of drug dealers don't have the knowledge of if you're selling drugs, then you can run a business. Absolutely. Because that's an operation. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the, the whole concept behind selling drugs is what they teach you in high school. Where there's a demand, there's a need for a supply. Mm -hmm. And you're supplying it. That's business. 101. Now you just need to pick a different demand and supply and use your knowledge to run that business. Mm -hmm. But you, it, it has to start with the desire to do so. Now, I have a lot of people say, man, that stuff you talking, man, you, you did the same thing we doing. We, I did. Right. I, I, I did. You Guess where it landed me? And also, at the end of the day, guess what I came out of prison with? Nothing. Right. Nothing. I don't know any retired drug dealers, okay? Now, I know some that got retired, right, right. but I don't know any that retired and don't have to work and they can live off the money that they made from selling drugs. I'm not saying that they don't exist, okay? If you if you watch American Gangster, Frank Lucas sold drugs again after he got out of prison, right. okay? Even with all the money that he had, he had nothing in the end. So I'm saying, I don't know any retired drug dealers. What's your retirement plan? Mm -hmm. Are you making enough money selling drugs that you're going to be able to retire and never have to work. Because you got to remember, if you start selling drugs at 18 and you go to prison and you get out of prison, that time span, there's no job history. Mm -hmm. So if you come to Jerome and fill out an application and Jerome says, well, what have you been doing for the last 15 years? Oh, man, I've been in prison. Now, Jerome might hire you, mm -hmm. but white American might say, 
next candidate. Right. Okay. So you're building your resume while you're doing what you're doing. What's your retirement plan? Mm -hmm. Where do you see yourself when you turn 50? I, I don't see any 60-year-old drug dealers out on the strip. I'm, I'm just saying. I, I don't even know how the game works anymore. I'm, I'm so out of the loop. But I know at the end of the day, you have to have somebody that wants it and then somebody that's supplying. Right. How are you going to do that at 60? Right. And and even with that, um, I see so much in the in the in the correctional field that I see, you know, 40 year olds coming back to jail for the same thing. Same thing. And, you know, they're 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 quoting NBA young boy. They're quoting uh, the, the gangster rappers. And I'm, right. like, thug, thug for life. I'm like, listen, 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 listen. You're 40 years old. The rapper you're quoting is 19. That's right. You shouldn't be quoting him. He should be quoting you because you should have some type of intelligence to understand what is going on. And that's one thing that's in the rap game that we won't get into today. But there is not a lot of a mentoring going on for for young artists because these artists are 17, 18, 19 year olds. They only know one thing. Then they get a million dollars shoved in their face. Of course, they're going to go out and do stupid things. But here's the thing. If you grown men are out there living a lifestyle that an 18 year old, 19 year old is glorifying, we got a problem. That's right. We have a huge problem because the as an OG, you should be the one that's pulling these young kids to the side and telling them, yo, that ain't it. I know where that, where that gets you. But for the same people, you've been going in and out of jail for so long that you're so used to it. Um, but we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. And we are back. Again, subscribe on the YouTube channel, uh, Mighty Motivation Network. Um, follow me on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, the links will be in the description. Also, the sources will also be in the description of where we get a lot of our information from. So you can go back and do your own research and understand uh, what it is that we're saying. Um, so I want to jump right into um, mindset. Um, I believe we have to talk about poverty slave mindset. So when you see a soldier go to war for two years, they come back what they call PTSD. PTSD is not just when you go to war for a few years. PTSD is also something that has dramatically affect you over a time period in which we like to call the post-traumatic uh, slavery disorder. Right. So where we still have a lot of um, slave tendencies. That's right. Um, because if, uh, if you're like me, I believe in genetics and DNA, that a lot of things genetically is passed on from generation to generation to generation. This is why they say, you know, you look just like your father, you act just like your father. Some of your, uh, your, your fears are the same, your fears that your mother had, because we passed that along from generation to generation. And when you look at from a 300, 400 year standpoint, there was a lot passed down in the African-American community that still um, threatened us today um, because we have not biologically or mentally um, accepted it and try to figure out a way to change it. Um, so um, a few things that, that, you know, you see on social media that, that you kind of look back and say, wait a minute, this, this is not funny, is, you know, you see, you know, dark skinned niggas act like this and light skinned niggas act like this and um, uh, dark people are like this, light people are like this, and then you see the things going on where the old people, like the young people need to learn something, and the young people, like the old people need to shut up, and then you see the males and the females colliding, as we talked about last week, and you begin to see the very things that we talk about with the, the slave syndrome that happened in slavery, one way to separate and divide slavery is still happening today, right. whether it's religious, whether it's political, whether it's uh, whatever. Infection. Right, so we have to begin 
begin to look at the slave mindset and try to and try to change it. And we got to begin to look at what we need to do to to be better. And of course, for me, the number one is you have to know your history. You have to know you have to educate yourself outside of the educational system. Um, the educational system will teach you one thing, but some things that you have to go back and you have to learn and you have to research. Um and uh, that's going to lead us into um, creating solutions. So what are some solutions that you think that, that, that can help the African-American community be accountable and change some of that's the right. things that are happening? I, I'll go back to what you said at the beginning. We've said this probably on every episode so far mm -hmm. is education is the equalizer mm -hmm. and probably only equalizer. And I'll go a step further for up till graduating high school. It's only education you're going to get for free. And in certain areas, you're not even getting it for free now because they want you to pay for a uniform because they don't want people wearing Jordans and, and shirts with, you know, name brand, brand shirts and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So they want you to pay for a uniform. So in certain situations, it's not even going to be free for schooling anymore. Mm -hmm. So education is the primary equalizer. Mm -hmm. The second thing is mentality. So when we talk about accountability. I think that black people are going to have to change the way they think. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you a prime example. I don't know how many times I've heard, and even I even said it when I was younger, yo, man, that ain't me, man. That just ain't me. Right. When you take that approach, you think that defines who you are. But really what it does, it limits who you can be. Mm -hmm. And I think black people have to stop doing that. Stop defining yourself, one, as something that really is, is not something you want to define yourself as. Right. Two, stop letting other people define you. Right. Stop letting things that other people say about you define you. Define yourself, mm -hmm. okay? And do it in a constructive, positive manner. Mm -hmm. And if you start doing those things, one, you're going to see that you have a lot more opportunities. And I've said this in the previous podcast. The more educated you are, the more control you take over your life the more opportunities you will see come forth mm -hmm. and hopefully will allow you the pedigree that you need to make the better choice. Mm -hmm. So just having choices is irrelevant if you don't make the right one right. or the best one. And you have to equip yourself to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think if you do that, change will happen. The other thing is, is that if you do it, you will see other people start doing it. This is the thing that I think is hard for most black people. You can be a leader without even knowing it. Mm -hmm. You can be a trendsetter without even knowing it. How many times have you worn your clothes a certain way just because you wanted to be different and then the next day somebody, somebody else was wearing it. it the same yeah. way? Mm -hmm. Think about how you can impose positivity on other people just by doing things differently, saying things differently. One of the things I was known for in high school that I take great pride in, and I'm not knocking people that did it, because obviously I did a lot worse, is I didn't drink or smoke. Mm -hmm. And people used to refer to me, oh, yeah, that's the guy that don't drink or smoke. Mm -hmm. And they thought that that made me feel bad. I would go, damn right. right. <laughs> you know, I felt good about that. Being different doesn't necessarily mean bad. Mm -hmm. You can be different and then have other people follow you. If it's something constructive and positive, you can get somebody to follow you to do something negative all day because that that seems like fun. Who made it fun? I have no clue. But you can change that around. Be influential, one, in your own life, but then see if you can be influential in someone else's life. 
Right. Uh, I 100% agree with that. Um, from a different perspective, when you look at black people, you know, we are the creators, we are the innovators. But when we create an innovator, we're also some of the, the trendy followers that you would see. Absolutely. Um, for example, you can find probably one of the worst rap songs and then you can get a hundred black people to say, yo, that's fire. Then you probably can get another thousand to say that's fire. Then all of a sudden, this is number one on the billboard. That's right. Because black people follow a trend um, a lot more than, than anybody else. This is why you have eras of hip hop. Because all the thing you see is people following a trend and say, yo, this is hot right now. And everybody will follow that trend. So one thing that, that really bothers me when it comes to the black community is well, we have to be careful what we champion. And one of the things that black people champion, and it goes back to that slave mindset, is possessions. Mm -hmm. So as a slave, whenever you see the, the master's house, whenever you see the master's clothes, whenever you see certain things, the master would sometimes pass down some of this stuff to the, the black slave that he probably cared for the most. It probably was his son, um, whenever yeah. you look at history. Um, <laughs> And if you watch Roots, uh, um, Chicken George was uh, um, key on this. He would say, I want to be a sporting man. Well, he would take his money. He would buy the, uh, the hat. He would buy the, the scarf. And if he felt important because he felt like an owner, like the slave master, because he had a... Um, a he had a, materials. Um, he, he, had, had he had high expensive things on him. And we took that outside of slavery. So now you see why people are paying $300 for Jordans and feel like they're better than other people because I was there in line to get them and you didn't get them, so I'm better than you. Right. That is one of the worst mentalities to have. So we spend $300, $400 on sneakers. We go out and buy Nike. We don't even know who the owner of Nike is. We don't know his principles. We don't know if he even um, if he's even racist. You don't know the Adidas people. You don't know Tommy Hilfiger. You don't know none of these people, but you go spend $300, $400 with them and then you feel like you're better than other people, and then you realize you don't really have that much power. We like to spend money on materialistic things. You know what I'm saying? When tax time come, if my cousin got a 40-inch TV, I'm going to get the 50-inch TV. Now I got to hit him up and tell him I got a 50-inch. Right. Because I want to feel like I got more power than somebody. That is a slave mentality. Absolutely. That is something that we have to get away from, and we begin to spend money in areas so we can feel important and make other people not feel important and not understanding that what we're spending money on is not important. And, and then you have the government that attack onto that. Now, we create it, but then they, they say, okay, you created it. We'll, we'll, we'll give it to you. And let's think about the stimulus for a second. So they capped the stimulus at $75,000 income, yearly income. So anybody make less than $75,000 as an individual or anybody $150,000 as a family, mm -hmm. right? You didn't, get a you, you didn't get a stimulus if you made more than that. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, well, people make $75,000 probably don't need the stimulus. That's not true. Mm -hmm. What they're saying is the people that make $75,000 or more a year aren't going to flood the market again with that money. What right. they're going to do is they're going to pay off some bills or they're going to save it or something like that. So what that means is people that get the stimulus money, they're going to spend it right back into they're the spend economy. It right back into so, the economy. So, so economy is going to continue to grow again Absolutely. because you're spending it back to the businesses that's doing bad right Absolutely. now. So if you give them the money, now they can come shop at Best Buy. Yep. Now they can come shop at Target. And they the can go buy those right. three hundred right. Jordans. So now the, you the got, demand you comes higher. The demand becomes. Go buy the vehicle. Yeah. Go buy the vehicle. The rims for the vehicles. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So they they are acknowledging what you like to do with your money. Yeah. And you know what you're doing? You're proving them right. Right. Because even though, you know, for the people that rent, there was probably a, a moratorium on being able to be evicted. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to catch that rent up eventually. But I guarantee you, most people aren't using that stimulus money to do that. Right. So what they're doing is taking that stimulus money and they're buying stuff. OK. Instead of catching up their bills. Or it's saving it. Even, it's spending it. Even if you're not buying it, you're renting it in which the um, the interest rate is going to continue to allow you to be in debt. Absolutely. So w- what we see early on is that that slave mentality of wanting possessions, the slave mentality of I, I got the money, now I got to spend it or for somebody come take it. We have that, that, that mentality that you just want to splurge to feel good for two weeks instead of using that money investly and you can be able to 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 splurge for two generations. That's right. So we again I believe you uh, remember you used to say that one of your uh things that you regret was buying us Jordans at an early age because it felt like we wanted. And now you see, you know, just for pictures, a girl will go out and buy her kid That's a right. hundred dollar Jordans just so it can match with the shirt and y'all can match together and like dang what could you have done with that money right. instead of, you know, wasting it on something that the kid doesn't care about? It's That's what right. you care about. And you we push these these principles on our kids so when they get older, they feel like they're not good enough because they don't have joints on. Yeah. I, I, I created that because and then mine was for a different reason, the same result. But my reason was I wanted you guys to have more than what I had. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I want. I mean, I didn't get my first name brand sneaker until I was like 14. Mm-hmm. And my stepmom bought them and they were $49 suede pumas. And I remember when I went to my dad and I was like, Dad, I want to get these pumas. He was like, shit, me too. You know? <laughs> but I ain't buying them. Right. You know? $49 for a pair of sneakers that you're going to wear to school that you, for people that don't know, suede pumas just look nice. You can't ball in them. You can't run in them. Hell, you can't play hopscotch in them for those mm-hmm. that can play hopscotch. But anyway, but... It was that it was that mindset of wanting you guys to have more than what I had, not realizing I was creating the stigma that you guys were going to try to follow as you got older. Right. And and that that's bad parenting. Right. That that truly is bad parenting. Instead of saying, you know what, if you want Jordans, then you set that criteria. You set that mark for yourself. Right. I'm not going to do it for you. The other problem that you that, that we see is 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 a, when we talk about that slave mentality or enslaved mentality, is loyalty. Mm -hmm. We are loyal to things that we should not be loyal to. We're loyal to people that we should not be loyal to. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I think about situations that happen with professional athletes, because these are the situations that I think a lot of people may know, so they might be able to relate to it a little more, since I may not know their personal relationships or associations. But I remember professional athletes, and I'll give you an example. Allen Iverson got into some trouble uh, when he was still in high school, right before he was getting ready to go to college. And I remember his friends actually went and, well, I don't know if they lied or not, because we don't know what the truth was, mm-hmm. but they went and said, no, Allen Iverson didn't throw a punch. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the other people say, he didn't throw a punch. You know. And through the years, Allen Iverson was loyal to those friends. Michael Vick was loyal yeah. to his friends. Yeah. And that loyalty ended up getting Michael Vick in trouble. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can be loyal to people that you probably shouldn't be loyal to. Right. It's okay to love them. It's okay to still care about them. It's okay to talk to them. 
but you cannot be loyal to them or their causes if they're not right. Right. And I think black people, we are so loyal. We will go to Miss Nan's for those that remember Miss Nan's. You go to Miss Nan's store and buy stuff because you're loyal, even though she may have overcharged you. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll continue to go there. You'll go to 297 Minute Market because they'll let you cash a check there and charge you five bucks where you could go to the bank. They don't charge you at all. But you're loyal to to those causes. Right. We we are we are so loyal that if a twelve year old is killed, nobody in the black community would say who killed it. Even though this we we got what we call the oh the streets know. Okay. The streets know before the police know. But you so, ain't saying nothing. But you're not gonna say anything. And as a community, we have to begin to hold our people accountable. Especially if you're killing people, if you're robbing people, especially uh, people who have worked for their things. We have to hold each other accountable and, and begin to look at um, at each other as, as brother and sister again. Again, we have that, that common phrase, Christians, you know, uh, love thy neighbor. But how can you love thy neighbor when you lock your doors at night? That's right. That means you don't love your neighbor. You don't trust your neighbor is the thing. So they don't love you. Exactly. <laughs> so we have to get back to, to that thing and... Again, we're, I'm not just talking about gangs. I'm not just talking about drug dealers. Um, we got to hold um, everybody accountable. Black police officers, you need to be having conversations with white police officers. Uh, black politicians, you need to be having conversations with white politicians. Black community leaders, you need to be having conversations in the doors that you go in to ask for what you want, to do what you want with the white people that are sitting down at the boards of, of meetings. Uh, principals, teachers, whatever you do, you need to be having these honest conversations. This is why we're having this podcast. Um, a lot of people aren't aren't um they're not they don't feel safe having these type of conversations openly. And we're doing that to try to make people feel more safe because these conversations have to have. And we have to be hold these people accountable to in, in order to do that, we have to have these conversations. Because the reason why police are killing police is because that black police officer haven't had a conversation with that white police officer. That's right. You know, we, we, we don't see that. We don't see the the black judge having that conversation with the white judge like, yo, you, you shouldn't do that just because he's black. We got to have these open conversations and fight for the field that we're in. I don't care if you're working at McDonald's. If you see a black co-worker being treated differently than a white co-worker, you have to have the conversation. Otherwise, you're in agreement to what is happening in the black community. And, so, and there's a way to go about that because we're not asking you to lose your job to have this conversation. No. But there's a way to go about having a conversation in those situations to say, this, this, might, this, this doesn't seem to be right. Right. You got to start thinking outside the box and say, how can I make a difference mm -hmm. without jeopardizing your safety, your job, your money, because you got to take care of your family. We were talking about this off air a little bit. And there's people who are in situations where they can have these conversations with white America, but they're afraid because how it's going to impact them economically mm -hmm. or financially. It's it's and, and I can understand it because nobody want to mess up their money. And as your mother used to say, don't mess up that good job. Right. You don't want to mess up that good job. However, there's a way to go about it. There's a way of going about having those conversations with these with these folks. And I think that people got to figure out how to do that. Right. And I think that black America is smart enough to be able to have those kind of conversations. But I remember in, in um, uh, and and was it the movie? Um. With uh, Ice Cube, he was um, uh, Doughboy. Uh, Boys, Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood. Ice Cube said, either they don't know, they don't show, or they don't, or they don't care. care. 
And so you got to start thinking about where do you fit in? We're not talking about white America. We're, We're talking, talking about, about you. Right. Where do you fit in? Do you know? Do you show? Do you show? Or do, or do you, you just don't care? Mm-hmm. Which one is it? Because here's the thing. If you're going to sit back and let other people make ways for you and you not make ways for other people, that's what we call selfish. Right. Okay. Don't be selfish. Don't let other people create avenues for you and you create avenues for no one. Mm-hmm. So we all got here because people sacrificed their lives for us. <clears throat> we talk about the Civil War all the time. And you talk about situations where people knew they weren't coming home. Mm-hmm. We talk about the Revolutionary War, where you had more people dying a battle than people died in wars for years. Mm-hmm. One battle, one fight, more people dead. And people were steadily saying, I'll go. Right. So you look in the black communities, how many people you want to sign up to stop racism? Yes. How many people want to stand up and say, I'm tired of being discriminated against? Mm-hmm. How many people want to stand up and say, I'm tired of going into a store and having people say, are you going to buy something? Are you going to buy now? Mm-hmm. How many of you are tired of going to try to get an apartment or a better house and the people not renting to you because you're black? Mm-hmm. How many of you are tired of going to try to get a loan? And they're going, oh, no, sorry, you don't qualify. Mm-hmm. How many of you are tired of that? If you're tired, stop waiting for other people to make those situations better. You do something. Mm-hmm. How many of you want to sign up for that? Mm-hmm. And, and again, again, we're trying to hold everybody accountable. Um, all black people accountable. Even if you're a business owner or you run an organization, run a respectable one. If you run a black business and, I, and we send people to your black business, you better have good customer service. You better have um, your merchandise ready. You better have um, good timing on when you deliver stuff. We can't we can't uplift you as a business if you don't operate it like a business. You can't operate it like a hustle. So we have to become respectable in everything that we do. Uh, black parenting. I wish I had a round of applause um, right here because I was actually looking for statistics about the black father being absent um, a lot. And the the charts that I came came across said that. African-Americans are more in the uh, in the home now than ever before um, since the uh, post-Civil War. Right. So I wish I had a round of applause to say, black men, you're doing it now. We have to begin to teach. But then again, don't just teach about the 90s Bulls team. That's right. Teach about Tulsa, Oklahoma. Teach about black history. Teach about the greatness that they can be. And we have to instill this in our kids. We have to know our history. Know our history from one, which we we went through all of our history. We have to know where you come from to know where you're going. We have to know our community. If you own a business, you should know the people in your community, black people. If you're a leader in your in your community, you should know the black people, y'all. If you're in a black church, you should know your congregation. That's right. Know what they're doing in their community. You should know what's going on. You should know the politics of that community. Right. What is your What is your mayor's name? Who are the, Who represents your 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 district? You should know these things so you can begin to correlate how to uh, build up your community. We should know all of these things. Who runs the business in your community? Why do they run business in your community? What are they doing to give back to your community? Because if they run the business in your community, more times than likely, the only business they're getting are from that community. And if they're not extracting that back into the community, then why are they there running the business? So we have to begin to look at that. Another thing I want to point, and I want to spend too much time on this, but I got to make it... um, a point is black people have to know the law. That's right. You got to know the law. 
when a police officer pull you over or he stop you on the streets, you have to know what your rights is. You have to know what the Fourth Amendment says. You have to know what the Virginia Constitution says. You have to know what probable cause is, what reasonable suspicion is. You have to know what your rights are. So if he stops you and wants to investigate something, you have the right to tell him, am I under arrest? Or can I leave? That's right. He has to answer that question. If he wants to continue his investigation, then he needs to read you your rights. So you don't say anything that incriminates yourself. You have to understand if he fricks you, if he uh, was to pat you down, he cannot dig into your pockets unless he feels that there's a weapon or a contraband on you. You have to know what it is that you're doing. If you're pulled over, you don't necessarily have to pull you pull over when the lights hit you. You can go and pull place. over somewhere that's safe. You can understand this. You talked about one day you um you got pulled over. You asked them to call a sergeant. You have to know the protocol right. for uh the, the the police department that's in your area. Figure out what the rules they got to go by, and understand that we're getting killed because we don't know anything. That's so right. the first thing, if a cop pull you over and you say, "Nah, you can't do that. I got a right," his, his thing gonna say, "You got a right to what?" That's right. If you tell them, yo, I got to write by article, um, article section number this, he's like, oh, he's smart. I, can, I ain't That's messing right. with him. He know what he's doing. Right. He can take me to court. Sometimes your behavior and how you respond will dictate how that officer deals with right. you in that situation. So if I can say article one, um, section 11 in the Virginia Constitution, you can't discriminate against me. And he will be like, oh, yeah, he, he right. That's so what, that's, just, what, yeah. that's what Ho said on 99 Problems. That's yeah. right. He said, uh, you know, he was like, you talk, when he told the cop, you know, you're not illegal. You, you're not legally searching me. Right. And the cop said, you type of, some type of lawyer. Are you some type some, of lawyer? Right. Important be, or because exactly. if, you, if you show that you have intelligence, they're not going to mess with you like right. that because most of the time... A lot of police officers don't even know their own rules. And, and, and that's the next line Jay said was, no, I'm not, right. but I know my rights. That's right. right. And, if you, and if you don't know your rights, that leads them. Listen, it's not against the law for police to lie to you. It's not against the law for police to coerce you. That's right. It's not against the law for police to manipulate you. They can stop you and say you fit the description of another black person that committed a crime. Number one, that's discrimination because you didn't give me a broader detail because by me just being black, I don't fit the description. Absolutely. What did the person have on? How tall? That when the when it came with a police scanner, they had to have all of these stuff. He had to be 6'6", 200 pounds, wearing a white t-shirt. Do I fit that description? That's right. Because it's against discriminatory laws that you just say, I'm black, I fit the description. Absolutely. No, you need more details than that. Is this investigation over? Am I free to go? If he say, yeah, you can walk away. Now, if you just walk away without saying, am I free to go and he don't give it to you, now you're resisting. Now you're resisting. Now you're not being compliant with the officer. Now he can take you to jail. And and I think think ultimately what you're saying is what's been happening to us on the news, on social media, when the white people say, but he walked away or he reached for it. Right. Because they know the law. Right. All we, right. All we see is an unarmed black man gets killed by a police right. officer. Now, right. is it right? No. Right. But we can deal with that at another time. Right. That's if, right. if you if you illegally search me, white people would notice if you illegally search me. Oh, we going to court, buddy. That's right. That's we right. going to court. 
Now, black people, they want to they want to fire off on the officer right there. Yeah. Now, now the justice system don't even care about the legal search. The fact that he fired off on you yeah. is assault and battery on the police officer. That becomes officer. the focal point now. Exactly. So now you're a thug. Doesn't matter. And the news is going to create you as being a thug. That's right. So now we have to understand that by them doing stuff, it's provoking you. But if you know the law... Ain't no provoking you because now I'm following the articles. Now we got the body cameras. Now, now you can specify where I told you this. Now we able to follow this. Now we can be good. Now, even if they arrest you, the key thing that I want to point out is shut up. You have the right to remain silent. Shut up. Shut up. Stop talking. Get you a lawyer. And here's another thing that I see in the justice system all the time. For the people who can't afford their own lawyer, stop letting these um, court-appointed lawyers cause you to plead out just because it's less of time. That's right. Because probation, parole, house arrest ain't nothing but a part of the system to get you to come back to jail. That's because right. they know you're not going to follow all of those guidelines but, uh, that they're going to give you. And, and it's going on your record. And especially if you're innocent. Right. Let's, let's emphasize, especially if you're innocent. Don't plead guilty to something that you didn't do just because they're offering you less time. Right. You you really got to think about what you're doing because these choices can affect you for the rest of your life. Right. Because you get tagged with something called a permanent tattoo that right F, on your forehead. That it's called a felony. That okay? F on your report that, card. That, that felony is hard. It, you can't go and get it taken off that forehead. Mm -hmm. You can't get it taken off. Yeah, Bob, Bobby Smurda, who was just released uh, in February. It just came out. Well, a video that came out, him being in the, uh, I forgot where he was at, and somebody offered him a drink, and he was like, nah. And um, it came out that his probation, up, I think it's like to 2028 20, or something like that. Mm -hmm. He can't go to a club. He can't drink. Mm -hmm. He can't do, it's like 10 different things. You got to be in the house at a certain time. You got to be in the house at a certain time. And if you look at Bobby Smurda's, you know, his history, they know he ain't. He you can't fulfill those. And for that's going to. And that, the only thing they're going to do is re reproduce that time that you got out on and give right. me more. What, what, what's the rapper's name? Is it Meek Mill? Yeah. Is that the one yeah. who who originally he only had one charge? Yeah. Right. And he's been back to prison several times, and he only had one charge. Right. He, he finished his time. He was riding and a he bike. just keeps going back to prison because of violations of parole that they claim are violations right. of parole. So, it just continues. So again, right in the, the prison system, we see the oppression because who more than likely to not know the law, to not know what's going on, to say, all right, yeah, I ain't do it, so I ain't gonna get no time, and y'all gonna just let me go and do five years probation? All right, I'll take it. Yeah. And now you don't understand that you got that on your, on your, on your card on your report card, that F on your report card, and it's going to make it harder for you to get a job, make it harder for you to vote now, as we see now with That's the more right. voter suppression laws, it's going to be harder for you to get into a lot of those doors to help your community because you got that F on your report card That's for right. something that you probably could have pleaded down to with a misdemeanor, right. for something that probably could have been dismissed. And here's the thing that a lot of people don't want to do is, even if you don't plead out, and they, they charge you with it, you do a one or two years for it, and you get out, you can still have that overturned. And get your record. But if you them. plead out, there's no overturning it. There is That's no right. appeal. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. So when pleading out, and most of the time, you're only making the job easier for your lawyer. No, do your job. I ain't pleading out. Do your job, find the evidence against me, and fight for it. 
All right, and we're back. Pops, you want to continue on what you were saying? Yeah, I was saying that one of the times I think I was the most afraid in my life was uh, Cameron, my nephew, had just gotten his driver's license, and uh, my brother Eugene had given him a car. He had gotten insurance on it and everything. He came by my job, and 10 minutes after he left my job, he called me and said that um, he got pulled over mm -hmm. uh, or something happened and police had him pulled over. When I got there, he was upset. And the officer told me that he was kind of combative yes. in his conversation. Now, for those that know my nephew at this time, he's a big boy. Yeah. You know, he was a big boy. And uh, when I got there, I pulled him to the side and said, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to apologize to the officer. Right. Because your conduct is unbecoming of a person who obviously did something wrong, first of all. Mm -hmm. But secondary, you're a black man. Right. And if this officer felt the need, he could have done something to you. And there'd have been nobody here to justify what you're saying. Right. It's your story, your word versus his. So I, 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 was, I, was, I was scared to death because I knew what could have happened to him mm -hmm. in that situation. Which, for white America, you probably don't feel like that. You probably don't have those kind of feelings. You're probably more concerned with the damage done to the vehicle, what the ticket's going to cost. Right. That's not what I was concerned with. I was concerned about his safety. So how you behave in the midst of a police officer is vital for black America. Right. Vital. The other thing is, is for black, for black America, I want you to understand that that police officer has so much power, unauthorized or not. Mm -hmm. At that time, they have the power to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a couple of movies. Uh, I got to go back to Denzel Washington. I got to go back to Training Day. Training. He said, uh, can we do that? We're we the police. police. We do what we want to do. Police. We do anything we want. Yeah. That's a true statement. Mm -hmm. That's a true statement. So not knowing the law doesn't absolve you from the law. So let's let's keep that. Just because you don't, don't know, know that that's illegal does not mean they won't put the cuffs on you. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about bullying, when we talk about being, here's the big one, accessory to a crime. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I used to say this for years. If your buddy commits a crime and you know about it, or you was with them, but you sat in the car, guess what you are? Accessory. You accessory to the crime. Can you go to jail? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to get into the talk about snitching and all. We're not going to get into that this episode, but we'll get into that eventually. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I want everybody to understand that what we're trying to tell you is not knowing the law doesn't that absolve you from the law. It doesn't exclude you from it. doesn't exclude you. Right. Okay? So learn the law. Learn your place. And, and, and then conduct yourself accordingly. So we're, at no point are we saying that police officers are ever justified in doing anything illegal to you. Because uh -huh. there are certain things that are legal, even though we're not saying cops are getting charged with it. Um, they have this grand jury process, and we'll get into that one day eventually, yes. too, and how the grand jury works. Because all the evidence is not being, being submitted to the grand yes. jury. Yes. So they're only getting what the prosecutor decides they want the jury to look at. So right. we'll get into that one day in the future. But we want you to understand that you need to know as much as you can about the law. Right. Absolutely. Um, and just looking at the, the totality of this episode, we wanted to hold blacks accountable, but we didn't want to do it in a way that throw black people under the bus to say white people say, I told you so. So when we, we kind of took that out the equation by going through history and seeing the systematic way that we were or that we are being oppressed. But again, just because you're there doesn't mean you have to stay there. That's right. Right. You know what I'm saying? So just because we're in a position to where we're being oppressed, we're in a position to 
um, living a slave mindset. We're in a position to continue to take from the government. We're in a position to continue to be incarcerated, gang violence. All doesn't mean we have to stay there. We, we have the opportunity. We have the knowledge. We have the, the know-how to begin to lift ourselves up, lift our families up, lift our community up. And from there, the, the skies is the limit. And right. we've seen it before. We've seen glimpses of it happening. We see, um, we see it, you know, Malcolm said, um, there's going to come a time where a black man is going to look at another black man that's being, you know, beating or brutalized. And they're going to take sympathy for that black person. And now you're going to have to deal with all of them. That's right. And we're, we're getting to that point. From where we used to be to where we are now, we're getting to that point. But we have to be able to hold ourselves accountable because at the point we're at right now is we see what white America is doing to us. We see it. And, and they're not even denying it because they're like, again, the first thing that they say is, well, you guys are killing each other, too. Right. So they're not even denying that it's happening. Their saying is, you need to hold yourself accountable for what you guys are doing. That's right. And they're right, but we're going to ignore them and say, and not for their, not for them. We're going to ignore it because we know it's important to us because we look at our family, we look at our community, and we want better for us. Not because they said so, because we have to look at ourselves and say, you know what? We want better. Uh, absolutely. So when you hear when you hear the slogan, Black Lives Matter, we're not saying that to just white America. Right. We're saying that to so, all America. Black lives matter. So that means to black individuals, other black lives matter. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think it's important that you put things into proper perspective. And when you hear black lives matter, you assume that we're just telling white America that our lives matter too. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not, <laughs> that's not what we're saying at all. That's not what black lives matter is all about. Right. It's also about black lives matter to other black people. Right. Black on black crime is at an all time high mm -hmm. and it's going to continue to go that way until you start making differences in your own personal lives, in your own families, your own communities. Mm -hmm. And it starts with you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it, we've seen it happen before. He talked about what happened with Cabrini Green, but I'm going to step a, a little bit closer to what some of you may may have remembered. A lot of a lot of people may remember the Stop the Violence rap song, um, Self Destruction, and then the the West Coast did their own version. And then when they did that, that was based on a lot of the violence that was happening in the '80s and the early '90s. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that happened is they had a cease between gangs in L.A. for a couple of weeks. Right. Same thing happened in Cabrini Green. That so didn't last as long. How do you get gangs to say, we ain't killing each other? We, we ain't killing each other. How do you get them to agree to that? The community. The community. They care. People mm -hmm. care. They're still people. Sometimes we look at gangs. We say gangs and we say thugs and we say hoodlums. We look at them as a thing, like an animal. No, they, they're still people. They're still people. They're still people. They're somebody's sons. They're somebody's grandsons. They're somebody's grandsons. Uh, um, nephews and nieces. They're still people, which is why you probably have just as many former gang members mm -hmm. as you do actual gang members. Yeah. So put that in perspective. Uh, I used to say some people just don't get it. Some people are never going to get it. Mm -hmm. And I had a guy, he was a principal of Stamp River, Junebug Everston. I remember one time he told me, everybody gets it. It's just wonder where they're going to be in their life when they do get right. it. 
but everybody gets it. Everybody gets it. Just where are you going to be when you get it? You know? Right. So the one thing we want to do is minimize the excuse for killing us. And by, if we take this out of the equation, what excuse will they have? You know what I'm saying? Post-Civil War, and I keep going back to Reconstruction period because it's an important time that there was no excuse for black people not to grow. And when there was no excuse, they did it. That's right. They did it. So we have to go back and, again, champion the black fathers that are going back into the black households, champion the people who are getting out of prison, being productive. I'm saying people who just go from, uh, you see a lot of motivational speakers saying ex-con to author, ex-con to business owner. We're starting to see a trend of black people getting it. But we have to start again with our youth. We have to start with our community and then we can grow from there. And I, I believe that we are farther along than we've ever been. But we got to have that accountability. That's right. We, we cannot. Uh, most people say, you know, when they did that, they set the they set us back 400 years. No, they just set us back a month. because They just set us back a, back a week. That's because right. the stuff that we said is, is still continuously happening. And we're never going to get progress if we continue to take step back from people who don't get it. So the gang leaders make your make your people get it. The the education the educators make your people get it. The the mothers and fathers make your kids get it. The the community leaders make your community get it. The pastors make your church and your congregation get it. Make your people get it and we can grow from here. We love y'all. Thank y'all. Peace to the family.